Berukatan Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Bakhar Bin Vim Tovim Veratza Vedivrehem Hane Emarim Beemet Baruch Ata Adonai Haboker Batorah Moshe Avdo Uv Yisrael Amo Uvin Vie Haemet Vazedek Hiskut Mashiach Yeshua Amen. Well, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Haftar Get You Some. We are finally back to fill in more gaps in our series. If you'll notice on the podcast that we have a Haftarah just about for every single parsha, and the ones that we don't, those are the ones we're making up for with the help of Hashem. Hopefully, Mashiach will be back before we finish, and then we can do it post-Ula, which would be really cool, because it's just kind of like, why are you still teaching us about stuff we already know? But, you know, everything about us knowing Torah knowledge is humility, so unless we know something 400 times, we don't get to say that. I love that. (laughs) But anyway, I'm going to pass it on over to my Havivi, and we are in Mika this week so the famous what does the lord require of you uh verse that pretty much a lot of people know uh we will have that among all the insights for this podcast so without further ado haftara uh parsha balak hit it yeah that's that's one of your your favorite verses isn't it it's literally posted right next to my door so i see that and then open the door hit the mezuzah and that's literally how i come and go (laughs) awesome well yeah uh will have a chance to kind of elucidate that and and so that's awesome i was when i came across that verse i was i was thinking of you i was like man i know i'm i'm about uh 99.9 sure that this is one of Amit's like top verses or ones that he clings to. So you are correct. Well, it's cool that we actually do get to get into Micha now, um, because ultimately he this is pretty much the only uh, half tour that he has. Wow. Uh, there is one that's like a holiday half Torah, which would be like the Shabbos Hagadol. Right. Um. But essentially, as far as like the the regular non-holiday readings, this is the only half tour from chapters five and six, which are huge, huge uh, content chapters. Wow. So, anyway, a little background on Micha. He was actually from the tribe of Yehuda, and his teacher was none other than Yeshayahu. Get you some. Uh, he had other contemporaries at the time. Uh, Hoshia, Amos, and Yeshia. And he was actually the youngest of them, and he actually outlived them. Um, during his prophetic career, if you will, uh, he really began at the time of Uzziah, king of Yehuda, and it spanned like the, through the centuries of the reigns of Hezekiahu, Yosam, uh, and Ahaz. Wow. And so, lived for a while, lived through many kings, and had the chance to give them a lot of wisdom. Um, Especially with King like Hezekiahu, um, you know he had a lot of, uh, I guess you could say, success because he 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 was around during a lot of like righteous kings, oh, and so. Um, also, um, and we'll get more elucidation of this, but we, since we did mention those three things that he said earlier, um, there is a saying from the Talmud. That is this from the Gemara and Machot twenty four a, 
and it, it mentions that Moshe was given 613 mitzvotes. David came and established 11 of those mitzvot. Yeshiah 6 and Mika 3 and Kavavuk 1. Mm. And so, um, just a little bit about that. A lot of people are like, oh, what, what do you mean? Like, did he nullify, did he nullify the Torah? Did he get rid of them? You know, especially in our day and age. Man. You know, in the Edomite exile, uh, aka like Christianity, right. has gotten a hold of the entire world. And one of the things that's preached that is an extreme false teaching is, you know, a manipulation of what Yeshua taught. He said of the two greatest commandments, love God and, and love neighbor. Right. <clears throat> and so people are saying, this is all you have to do is just love God and love neighbor. But what they don't understand is a lot of time these great Sadakim or, or prophets or in case of Yeshua, Mashiach, uh, would see the level that the people were on. And they would uh, summarize the Torah, if you will, into a principle. Wow. And this principle would, would make it make them uh, able to actually reach for uh, the whole of Torah in the long run. But it gave them kind of a, a stepping stool to get onto to actually strive for Torah. Man. And so this is, this is what the idea. It's not to nullify the Torah, chas shalom, or to subtract from it. It's to give people like a stepping point, sort of like um, you're, you're going through an Aliyah day and listen to a uh, rabbi's program or, or going through yourself where you have like a, a daily study where you set uh, this five minutes here or you have one of those day-by-day uh, -day books, you know. Um, it's just giving yourself an achievable goal in order that you may strive for the whole of Torah. Oh my word! So that that's what he came to do. He gave us three things, and Bizarashim will elucidate them more uh, towards the end of this half Torah. Amen. All right. Um, so, uh, quick review of what's in this half Torah. We got in the the future era, the nations accepting God's authority will be blessed, while those resisting will be punished. The enemy nations will be subdued without human warfare or weapons, uh, and then. Beginning of chapter six, Hashem reminds Mika's generation of his kindnesses to them, and at the very end, he explains what he demands in return. Wow. Um, interesting note um, that a lot of times you'll see in these half Torahs that before you get in the content, or maybe just a little bit after it, like juxtaposed to the start and end of the half Torahs, there's usually some huge uh, verse about Mashiach. <laughs> and I think that I, I, I do believe as those in, in intensely done, not in a way to, to cover up anything, but a, a way to allude to who the Mashiach is and, and, and how, how to find him. You know, we know, uh, you know, it's not the, the rabbis, quote, quote unquote, covering things up. Um, as we mentioned, that the half tour reading was developed um, during Antiochus time. Right. You know, during the during the Greeks and all that, and so this is this is before Mashiach <clears throat> Yeshua actually came, right? Um, and so it can't be that, but it, it could be like this idea of of concealment. We know that Mashiach and Yosef are concealed, and so you go a little bit above the half tour, a little bit below, you'll usually find something huge. And one thing we find in Mika is uh, that the prophecy that he will come out of Bethlehem. Oh my goodness! And this is just, this is at the very beginning of chapter five, and so um, 
man. You know, there's those that say he's referencing David. Yes, they're correct. Um, however, we, 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 as we said often, that the all the prophets that were actually put down into the Tanakh, their prophecies were meant to be for every generation for all time. Right. And so it's not just David. You know, it, it's reference to David. It's a reference to the Mashiach, who actually was, according to Manasyahu and Luke, in the Basora, um, was born in Bethlehem. That's right. I actually had a drop on that. Uh, Go for it. The uh, the the sefer known as what the rabbis know about Messiah. Mm-hmm. They were actually talking about this passage from uh, Mika because there's this idea that Messiah is also called the Greater David. And it's David spelled with the additional Yod. And let's see. I'm trying to see if I can find it without taking too much time here. But in in short, he basically goes into when this prophecy was made, uh, David was long gone. So, like, as far as a time reference... This does not uh, apply to David as we would know. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Let me have 30 more seconds. If I can't find it, then I will. For sure. You want me to say a few things while you're looking for it? Uh, sure. Yes, please. Okay. Just interrupt me whenever you find it. Just go for it. Okay. Got it. Uh, you got it? Okay, go. <laughs> but, Okay. Uh, I just needed you to just kind of threaten me earlier, and then I would have found it. Right. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) All right, so this is page 45. It says, so finally the prophet Micha confirms that Bethlehem is the birthplace of David, will also be the birthplace of the greater David. When he was inspired of Ruach HaKodesh to speak, which is at the beginning of chapter 5 here, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Thou, though be little among the thousands of Yehuda, yet out of you shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Yisrael, key verse, right, key phrase right here, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Mm-hmm. To which he follows up in commentary by saying, The prophet here could not have been speaking of David, since this ruler is one who was from everlasting, like outside of time. So there's <laughs> no way that he was just a man and not like divine and stuff. Okay. Also, the prophet speaks of the future, David. Or speaks of the future, and David was dead and buried by the time Mika spoke. That's all I want to share. Todaraba. Love it. That's such a key point, and I love that you mentioned the whole uh, from going through ev- from from old to everlasting. Yeah. You know, Pizrashim, we're gonna be talking about this this concept of divine Mashiach is actually hidden within uh, the first verse of our half tour as well. Good night. So. Do you by chance you any, remember what you were going to say uh, while I was looking up stuff? Oh no, it was, it was just it was some extra stuff that oh. I could add if if needed, but okay, um, nothing nothing too major. 
Um, right. So we got different links to this Parsha. Obviously, it mentions this phrases that Balak uses. Um, wow. We have this mention to these these mountains um, and these these hills, which is always a reference to the, the forefathers, the Avot, and and the mothers. Um, uh, one of the other themes, you know, you talk, you talk about sorcery and Balaam talks about sorcery. Right. And Mika also says that he's going to destroy the sorcery. And a third theme is this idea of um, the Jewish nation crouches. He lies down like a lion. And Mika also used the same metaphor, saying the remnant of Yaakov would be like the lion among the animals of the forest. Come on. And, you know, uh, Bilaam literally, literally goes on to the end of days, what's going to happen there. And Mika also does the same. So there's a very huge parallel as far as, like, the order of these, these prophecies and these phrases. Um, parallel what Mika says as well. Hmm. So you can kind of see it's like a, a more of a, it's almost like Mika is elucidating Bilam's words. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> so th- this half tour really, we have this whole era, it's, it's in the era of the war of Gog and Magog. Hmm. So this is the enemy force that's going to resist God's dominion over the world um, towards the, the in the end of days, and literally at that time there's going to be a number of Jews who are still uh, uh, still alive among the nations, and the prophet actually calls them here at the very beginning of the verse. He says the remnant of Yaakov, and it doesn't say the remnant of Israel, and the whole point to get from that is that the whole name of Yaakov actually reflects this whole idea of submission. Wow. And so this this really indicates that the Jews will have undergone terrible tribulations and persecutions by this time. Wow. And so that's why it's not that's not it's not the elevated name of Israel, it's the name of Yahweh, which is the one, you know, you go back to the story where he was struggling with the angel. Right. It was Yahweh, but afterwards he was given the name, you know, Israel. Man. So verse six says the remnant of Yaakov will be in the midst of many nations, like the dew from a shim and like the showers upon the grass, not hoping for any man and not having expectations from people. And so there's a couple ways this verse can be understood. Uh, one is the Jews who will survive in Mashiach's era will have full trust in Hashem. And so just as anyone would readily admit that, that it's futile to place hope in a human being to grant rain or dew, uh, because only Hashem is capable of giving these, so the, the Jews at the time will put their full trust in Hashem in contrast to the occasions of the past when we relied on like human allies. And we've seen that through the, the other half towards well, relying on Egypt, relying on this person, that person. Mm. Um, an, another way uh, would be that uh, the Jews still in exile can actually become the greatest blessing for any nations who are actually willing to sh- accept Hashem's rulership. And so the Jews for the nations are going to be like like the dew and the rain, which brings like the blessing to the world. And so simply uh, put, Hashem will bless other nations materially in B'nai Israel's merit. Or else it may refer to the fact that the Jews will teach the nations the truth. As a result, they will deserve the blessings. May it be so. And so, amen, amen. Uh, The Jews have been like the rain and dew for the rest of the world throughout their stay in the exile. They've always been and this little source of sustenance for the nations, for Hashem blesses the world in their merit, and furthermore, 
They bear witness to the Shem's existence and providence, but only in the future will this become obvious on a wide scale. Wow. <laughs> wide scale, huh? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, something very interesting about uh, this whole phrase is, and, you know, tag on what, what you say frequently about learning Hebrew and the amazing Hassan's uh, off, off quote of saying, you know, hashtag learn Hebrew. Right. <laughs> and very true. Very true. If you don't know where to start, you know, just watch out uh, kindergarten songs of the alphabet and repeat that. Go on repeat until you know what the letters look like and know how to say it. Uh, but if you do, if you do go on Hebrew and the, the Hebrew of the verse, the original text is first. Um, it brings out some a, a huge, beautiful elucidation. And so we have in uh, the, the second second line. This is still in verse six. It says katol. Me'et Hashem kevivim ale eset. And so this is the whole idea like the dew from Hashem and like the showers upon the grass. And it's really the comparing, we, we've compared uh, upon the grass, this is like the nations. Wow. And it literally relates, it, it puts in relation to Hashem and Katal, like the dew. It's, it's the dew from Hashem. And so what does this mean? What does it mean to be the dew from Hashem? What's the illusion here? Is this a and, resurrection drop? Well, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I might be going uh, in a way that can connect to that, but that's not necessarily the focus. Okay. No worries. So I'll just... get, that, get that thought <laughs> process and get ready for a tag. <laughs> <laughs> so... Tall, which is the dew of rain, is actually a name of... Oh, Mashiach? Mashiach. Oh, my goodness. And so it really comes from uh, Shir Shir 5.2. Um, it says, For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. And and the sages saw this as hitting as Mashiach. Uh, the traditional Jewish interpretation of Shir Shir is you know as, as we may know from from rabbi's uh short series on this um it, it alludes to god's relationship with his people and you know talking about the beloved and so beloved is actually one of the names of mashiach this is this like dod spelled the same as david okay. uh, but primarily it's god who's seen as the beloved and so when it says about the beloved that his head is covered with dew the, the interpreter um, becomes alarmed because it literally means that God spent the night outside his palace. How else are you going to get dew on your hair? If you're, if you're in your home, it doesn't rain on you. You don't get dew on your hair. Right. So this, is a whole, this whole idea of this unthinkable sign of God's humiliation. And so the Midrash, Midrash says that it is because God bemoans the destruction of the temple. Thus said God to Israel, my son from the de- my sons, from the day I destroyed my earthly house, I did not come up and sit in my heavenly house, but I was sitting exposed to the dew. And if you do not believe, put your hands on my head and see the dew on my head. Mm. As it is says, my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of night. Elehu Rabbah 21. And so this literally personifies um, essentially a homeless God. And, and, and it's very, very offensive. You know, it seems very offensive. And the, the Midrash actually adds, 
um, this would have been impossible to say if it were not written. And occasionally you have this phrase and, and things that, that seem like, whoa, you're saying this about God. Let's, let's kind of hold up, you know? Uh, right. But, you know, one of the things that came to mind in reading this is, is Mashiach when he says, you know, the son of man has no place to lay his head. That's right. He's outside of his palace. He went down from his domain to come into our domain for our sakes. And so uh, going on on this idea, so the the week in which the son of David comes, they bring beams of iron and put it on his neck until his stature is bent. This is quoting from another Midrash, Peskita Rabbatai 36. And he shouts a cry and his voice goes up to heaven. God said to him, I am not... I am not flesh and blood, yet how long will my strength, spirit, and soul be held, and how long will my limbs be held? And on such an hour, David cried and said, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Pelim 22.15 On that hour, God says to him, Ephraim, my righteous Mashiach, now your sorrow be like my sorrow, because since the day the wicked Nebuchadnezzar destroyed my house and exiled my sons, I swore with my life and yours, that I will not enter my throne if you do not believe me. Put your hand over my head and see the dew on my head. As it says, my head is covered with dew. On that hour he said to him, Master of the world, now I am appeased, for it is enough for a servant to be, uh, for a servant that he be like his master. That sounds familiar. Right. <laughs> Though normally dew is a sign of a blessing, you know, in this talk, in this context, do is like this disturbing symbol because you have this idea of this suffering God who takes the form of a homeless person Good night. or an aspect of a homeless person. Mm. And uh, this is why the Midrash literally says it would have been impossible to say if it not written because this whole idea of the do points to the suffering Mashiach who is the representation of the suffering God. Wow. And that's really what Pesket the Rebbetai goes really compares. It's like, it's enough like the servant to be like his master. You know, you've seen me, you've seen the father. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Yeshua says like a Talmud is not, not greater than his rabbi. You know, it says essentially he's saying that we are persecuted in exile because he is exiled. Ooh. And so it's like the, the, the Shekinah is not exiled because of us. We're exiled because the Shekinah is. Man. You know, it says, no man no man takes my life. I lay it down on my own. And what did Hashem do? He destroyed his house. As as what? As atonement for his children. Good night. And so a lot of times we think, oh, it's, you know, we sinned and we caused the Shekinah to depart. No, we. no man takes the life of God. Right? Yeah. He takes his, He takes it on his own. And he did that as atonement for us. And that's always been the pattern in Scripture. That's why you can't say, you know, the God of the Old Testament, quote-unquote, is mean. You know, right. he's always been sacrificing uh, his, his self and his image and his presence in the world on account of us. Man. That so that's this whole idea of, of, of do. And this is a do from a shim. Um interesting interestingly um you have like the grass so esiv really it's like the nations right this word for grass right. this is related to the nations and what is the the main nation that we're exiled in it's the edomite exile mm-hmm. right representing esav mm-hmm. right 
And what's interesting about this is you have ayin, sin, and vait. Mm-hmm. Well, the vait, the bait without the dagish, it can be interchanged with the vav. Oh, And snap. what do you have there? Esav. You have Esav. And what's very interesting is right before Esav, there is this little yud. Yep. What do you get when he has a yud and Esav? Yeshua. Yeshua. And so it's like like the showers upon the grass. It's elucidating. Who is this? Who is this uh, dew from Hashem? Right? We, we mentioned that dew is this, this name of Mashiach. And in this verse, we have, um, we have like elucidation of that. Like, what does this do? This, like the, the dew is, is the shower that's upon the grass. That's what dew is. And so we have the definition, the name of the Mashiach is hidden in, in the second part of this verse. Get you some. So, and if that doesn't, uh, that doesn't do it for you, if you're like, okay, well, I think that's a little, um, there's not enough. There's not enough little points. Well, if you look at the phrase, kivivim uh, ale, right? We mentioned that the yud is is attached to esav, um, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so if you just take the gematria of that phrase, uh, all, the, the showers upon, el, right, all, then it actually gives you the gematria of 384, which is the same gematria as uh, the Mashiach Hashem, Mashiach Hashem. Wow. And you take uh, Karivi Al has two words in it, so you could add two to that, and Mashiach Hashem has two words in it, so you could add two to that, and you get the gamacha of 384 plus two. 386. 386, which is? Yeshua. Yeshua. And so this whole, this whole idea is literally hinting into who is this name of the the Mashiach, who is the name of Mashiach, um, who essentially sustains the world with his with his blessing because of his sacrifice, because he went out of his place, right? Yeah, he sustains the world, and so in this verse, you not only have a hint at the Mashiach uh, and his his connection to Hashem, his divinity, if you will, wow, because he represents Hashem, okay. but you also have his very name. Wow. So. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Say la. Say la. All right. So, say la. Put it on pause and say la. Mm-hmm. And then when you're ready, push play, and we're we'll, gonna we'll keep on going. <laughs> nice. Cause yeah, people can do that. We can keep. They can going. do that. We can't. We gotta keep on going. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, nice. But. So, verse 7, uh, the remnant of Yaakov among the enemy nations in the midst of many peoples will be the, like the lion among the animals of the forest, like a lion coming among the herds of sheep, which if a strange animal crosses path, steps on it, tears it, there is none to save it from its attacker. And so, um, this, in this phrase, you have this thing, Bogoim, which is among the nations. This actually refers to the hostile nations. And these are the people who actually refuse to accept the Shem's sovereignty. Uh, the Zohar comments on something very interesting, um, and that, that Hashem is actually going to resurrect B'nai Israel's ancient foes, such as Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Sancherev, who are, are going to be destroyed in this final battle. So, wow. you know, all these ancient nemesis of Israel, they're all going to be revived. Like, okay, you have, you have another chance. <laughs> and 
you know, <laughs> you're going to be destroyed. Yeah, um, pretty much. Because that's what happens when you go against a ship. Uh, but there's this interesting depiction here. This is, uh, like, typically, we've been, you know, Israel, Jewish people, we've been the sheep among the wolves. But at the end of days, and Hashem's name is going to become sanctified for all to see that He is the true judge who repays the wicked mida kanega mida as they deserve. Wow. Um, it's kind of interesting, you know, you look at the phrase as, as the violent nations as being wolves, you know, going, right? And Israel being a sheep, we have this whole idea that's later brought down in, in the letters of a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Right. And so you, you, you take this verse to help you elucidate what, what's being said there. And it is literally like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Who is a wolf is the nations. Who is the, the sheep's clothing is uh, Am Israel. It's the Jewish nation. Right. And so it's, it's the idea of, you know, putting on the clothing of a Jew, but having the mentality of a Gentile. Huh. Where have we seen that? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Rhetorical. This, you know, it's, it's like we must be caught up in the renewing of our minds, and 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 you know, if you have this whole mentality of the Gentile nations, and you're just going through the motions as as a Jew, you know, you 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 don't you don't want your mind to be favoring the things of the nations and involved in the things of 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 that the Gentiles do. The people who are out of covenant with Shem. Because eventually that's going to cause you to assimilate, oh, and and make you a, a bad representation, if you will, of of Judaism. Literally, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Man. Oh, did you have something on the do? By the way, I did. Uh, I don't know uh, how much really that it would be uh, relevant, other than when you really couple it with the fact of who Yeshua is as he is suffering. That, you know, he's bringing life to the nations. And the only source that I was going to bring up was just kind of going back to the picture of at Mount Sinai. The only way that Yisrael was able to receive Torah was Hashem had to bring forth the dew of resurrection that he's going to use in the time to come at the final mm. resurrection. Because the dew is what's going to be used. So I was just thinking along those lines because... You know, when you're talking about interchanging letters and looking at the sum of the words with the gematria, all of that is is, is talking about this form of infusion and um, just kind of this restoration, if you will, or rejuvenation. So, yeah, I love that. That's cool. Look at him. You know, I I feel like we could you know go on with like. Like here's a Hebrew word. Let's elucidate that and what that means. <laughs> right. So I was you know, just this, surprised this... that we didn't use the word matar in the uh, that Haftarah verse right there, because that's usually the word used for like rain. Yeah. And so it was just like, nope, not this time. Got something better. You was tall, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the the, the hand of a shim instrumenting and. You know, writing, writing this Torah, the, the divine Torah. You know, every letter, every every word counts, and means something, and hints towards something. And on this concept of hand, we had verse eight it says, "Your hand will be raised against you, 
and you're going to be essentially you're going to be victorious over your adversaries and all your enemies will be exterminated. And so uh, the Midrash actually understand this to be referring to God's hand. And so um, there it's this really interesting concept that, you know, we see Hashem like pointing to stuff within different verses of, of in, in scripture and each of one of his fingers of his hand are actually used to rescue human beings. Wow. And so, you know, you have your, your hand out in front of you want to follow along. We have, you know, the story of Noah, this, the little finger, the little pinky finger is what he showed him. This is how you should build the ark with the pinky ring finger. Uh, the ring finger is what he used to smite the Egyptians with the ten plagues. They admitted, you know, this is the finger of God after the plague of lice. That was with his ring finger. Uh, the middle finger is what he inscribed on the Ten Commandments. We used to inscribe the Ten Commandments. It was his middle finger. Um, you know, so if, if someone gives you an obscene gesture, you could use that for a chance to var Torah. <laughs> Wow. You know, just you know, throw that out there. And like, oh, yeah, I see you uh, or hold up the, the finger that, you know, the Shem inscribed the Ten Commandments on. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay, stop. I know everybody else can hit stop and we can't. But seriously, you know the deeper meaning behind what you're saying is this is how profaned the Word of God has become in the world mm -hmm. that this gesture is so like spread out and used and it's directly opposite of the Kedusha that it originally came from. Yes. It, it really goes to show you that everything that is, is being done in, in, in a mocking manner or is insulting manner is really the underlying thing is, is an insult and attack against Hashem and his dominion. Um, like wow. for example, we're, we're, we're going to, get to the whole whole idea of Zanut later on, uh, and, you know, what, what does it mean when you see uh, a lot of a lot of the whole culture uh, not covering themselves up, you know, dressing like they're going to the beach, you know, not that you should go to the beach that way, but, you know, dress like go to the beach uh, every day. Man. You know, and what is that really about? Well, it's it's attack against Hashem because what is Hashem? Hashem is concealed. And so if you're dressing, dressing in a modest fashion, having yourself covered, not, not exposing uh, parts of your body, you know, whatever that may be, to the extent that it may be, uh, if you're covering yourself up, you're, you're reflecting a shim on this earth. As he is, as he is a newt, as he is hidden and modest, so you are hidden and modest. You know, in the nations, you know, dressing how they want, dressing unmodest, it's really a spite against God. Wow. Know? and and it's it's a direct opposition to how he runs things so you know just a little swerve a little side note i'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up you know i mean so next finger next the finger. pointer finger index. um index finger your 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 front finger right um four finger it's what he used to show Moshe what coin B'nai Israel were to donate. This is the hash shekel coin. It was used to atone after the golden calf. Wow. <clears throat> and so you really see that all all these things, you know, you have the ark, which is used to save Noah and his family. You have uh, the the ring finger, the, the ten plagues, which is used to redeem B'nai Israel. 
um, and avenge them of, of the evil of Egypt. And you have, you know, the half shekel, the forefinger that was used to, as atonement for the golden calf. And in the future, you know, Hashem's going to use his thumb as well as the rest of his hand to literally demonstrate his entire might to his enemies. Amen. And that's what it means. His whole hand, he's literally going to come and show his full might and glory. As is, you know, you, you think if you think Egypt, what happened when you read the story of the plagues and the Midrash on that, you know, is is extraordinary. Then that's nothing compared to what's to come. Wow. Um, just an interesting idea on the forefinger because we want to talk about it. Um, literally, it's it's served to you know the rest of the fingers of God actually served to save human lives, and in in this instant, you know, the the middle finger. God's finger wrote the commandments on the Luchot. And so, you know, this is what was reserved for the middle finger. And it's interesting because this is the central and most prominent among all the fingers. It's the long, longest finger. Um, and so the Midrash actually seems to be teaching that the most important help that Hashem ever gave us was not necessarily to rescue us from physical destruction, but from eternal spiritual devastation through the revelation of his commandments, through the revelation of his Torah. Wow. And so you, you think of Mashiach at the execution stake, they're like, send your angels, you know, reveal yourself. You know, there, there was something bigger going on there. It wasn't this physical redemption. You know, we talked about the redemption as a process. This was an eternal spiritual uh, event that, that, had to, that had to be involved in order to bring us salvation. Wow. Um, and furthermore, on, on that point, actually hints to it, because you actually look at your, your fingers, it is, literally is the middle finger, you got two on the left and, and to the right, almost looks like a, a, you know, the menorah has, you know, six points, you know, it looks like little menorah. And if you look at it through that angle, the middle finger would be the Shamas candle, like the servant candle. And what, what is, what does that have to do with it? It has to, it's, it's lifted out of its place and bent down to, to serve and ignite all, all the other, uh, all the other um, lights, if you will. Wow. So this is like Yeshua, you know, taken, especially read Pesachibur of Ty 36, literally taken from his place on the throne of God in, in order to, to bring redemption. So you're talking about the menorah has six points. Mm-hmm. So... How do we? How are you breaking that down with the hand? Well, I'm, I'm saying it's not exact exact picture of the six point menorah, but you know if you look at it, it literally is it looks kind of like the, the structure of it. The hand is like the structure of it, with the middle finger being the longest point, and you've got the symmetry of it: two on the left, two on the right side. Ah, so just looking at those three fingers, you can see like a mini kind of yeah. illusion there. Yes. Gotcha. It's not meant to be taken super literal, but it gives you... Not super picture. literal, you know. Yeah. Cool. But there's illusion. Can't quite put okay. your hand on it, then that's... that's <laughs> right. But you can put it, your finger on it. You no? can put your finger on uh, it, though. That is nice. So, um, going into this whole thing, we had this next, this whole idea of supernatural warfare. Mm. This is verses like 9, uh, nine through 14. Mm-hmm. Literally talking about this whole idea, uh, essentially Shem himself is going to conduct war with his divine power. As we mentioned, with, he's going to come with his full hand. Um, oh, remove oh, all natural means of warfare from Eretz Israel, so the Jews will not be able to attribute their success to any 
worldly weapons. Um, <laughs> and so literally you see in this, 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 all these verses, after the war, you know, weapons are certainly become superfluous for everlasting pieces to follow. So he goes into taking away, I'm going to take away uh, your horses, your, your chariots. I'm going to destroy your fortified cities. Talking to uh, Israel, not the nations. Mm-hmm. And like, what's going on here? And the next one, I'm going to take away your, your the witchcraft from among you, the astrologers, the soothsayers, um, the, eliminate your images, the work of your hands. And he's literally going through and destroying everything that um, that Israel could attribute its success to. Wow. And so this is the whole idea. Why, why, is he, why does it seem like he's against um, Eretz Israel? And it's not. It's, it's that he's setting it up so that they can be in a position to attribute everything to him and thus connect uh, themselves to him on a greater scale. Wow. And so, you know, if you feel like you're being attacked, uh, run down, you feel like you're powerless, you feel like you've, you've been just beaten down, whatever the case is, chances are Hashem is doing a great work in your life. And he wants you to attribute none other but him. As it says, the next part, like, you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. Yeah, you could think of that as idols, or you could think of it as um, the ability to say, hey, I did this. I earned this. This was my doing. And so... Um, sometimes Hashem like, uh, knocks down, puts, seems like, uh, everything's going on in our lives, but he's setting it up so that we would have a, a deeper connection to him. Man, I can't say that that's relevant anywhere <laughs> these days. Wow. You know, also on a, on a side note, um, on this idea in verse 12, the work of your hands can also be applied figuratively to the guardian angels of the nations. And so when we sin, there's this idea that when we sin, we invest in them with power, with power and we create the energy that they needed, that they need to oppose us. Oh. Um, I mean, you look at this practical way uh, as far as the, the, the years leading up to the Holocaust, um, Hitler, may his name be blotted out forever, um, was, was a nobody. Um, but you, you had a lot of people who started believing in him and they therefore gave him that power over them right and only then did you see all this horrendous events unfold you know we got to be careful be careful because when we sin you know we are allowing power to uh the enemies and our persecutors uh, there's this concept um also that uh when you when you speak lashon hara about a person, whatever whatever you're, you're speaking about, you're actually empowering in that person. So you're actually compounding the sin in that person and making it worse and make it more prevalent and make them do it more consistently. Um, this is why, you know, it's very important for us to, like, literally, you know, guard our tongues. You know, Shem says, you know, I, I gave you, uh, I gave you uh, two walls and a, an outer wall, you know, what, what more can I do? You know, referring to the teeth and lips. Wow. And, you know, only one tongue. What more can I do to help you out? You know, that's where bite and your so, tongue comes from. Yes. You know, if you can't, you can't uh, hold your tongue to bite your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> right. Side note you know. on this as well, that assimilation is a sin. Because I don't think we ever really look at it that way, because if you talk about empowering Hitler, then where did his power come from? None other than us 
giving ourselves to the culture of that time saying oh we're not gonna we're not gonna be super stringent we'll kind of relax a little bit you know it's not so important on kashrut it's not so important on shabbat and yom tov i'll just kind of do a little bit you know i mean i'll still be keeping shabbat but i won't go to shul you know i got this thing that i need to do in addition to my other plans it's just like that right there is the epitome of what was just elucidated so I just wanted to bring that out because, you know, the birthplace of the Holocaust was the place where the uh, birth of Reform Judaism began. That's true. So, I mean, that is not good. <laughs> you know, and you look at it through, just to support what you're saying, you look at it through a, a different aspect. You know, the mitzvah is the way we connect with Shem. Right. And so any anytime we're lax at a mitzvah, we're either we're either breaking or we're rusting that that channel. And we're literally making ourselves powerless. <sighs> you know, we're literally we're really obstructing, we're clogging the pipes of our own blessing. Uh you know, even on the aspect of prayer, you know, you people can be like, Oh, well, I say the, the same thing three times a day, referring to the, the Amidah. But, but each prayer actually does something different. You know, the, the morning chakri prayer actually allows us to uh, refine, uh, no, no, it actually allows us to develop our potential and spiritual growth. Um, the, the minka prayer actually repairs our vessel, you know, uh, from all the damages that's been done in the workplace. You know, you work in a, a bad environment. You know, say a lot of people are, you know, just just gossiping or angry or lustful speech or, you know, whatever you have um, in, in your typical work environment, living in exile, the Minka prayer actually restores your vessel, Amen. you know, cleans it up. Um, and then you have the Mariv prayer, which actually helps you eliminate uh, self-centeredness and selfishness in your life. Wow. And so these these prayers, even though they're just, you look at them and you're like, oh, this is the same thing over and over, they're actually there to help refine you and strengthen your connection to Hashem. Get you some, boy. You know, and on this this concept of these these three prayers, it's mentioned in in verse four. It says, um, on the kindnesses that Hashem has shown Israel, he says, I sent you Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. Here we have another concept of three. Oh, um, snail. You know, and and the whole idea of, um, and one of the classes that's going on uh, currently that we have going on is um, is the uh, the uh, the three pillars of the world what it stands on, you know, Torah, prayer, and, and kind deeds. Um, and so it's like this this whole idea, like these are the three pillars of the world, and you don't want to remove even one of them, you know. Even if you're you're going off the the, the concept of oh hey I'm busy in a mitzvah that means that means I'm not obligated to do another mitzvah that's not really you can't you can't apply that here you know just because you're studying Torah doesn't mean you can't pray wow you know doesn't mean you you're you're not obligated to pray you're still obligated to pray you know just because you're praying all the time everything doesn't mean you're you're not obligated for the kind deeds you know these are the three pillars of the world and you don't want to remove even one of them just like your prayers these are the three prayers and you don't want to remove even one of them you know what happened when when Miriam died, and we read in, in last last uh, parsha, the, the literally the 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 water was taken away from Bnei Israel. <laughs> they're they're nearly going to die. They're out of water. Man, you know. And so if you you think that you're you're being clogged up, you think that you're not receiving the blessings and the bounty 
um, from above, then 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 check check your service. I'm not not saying to to go on this 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 idea and this of self defeat and and and, and self guilt, but just check your service. Be be a little reflective and see what can I do better. What can I do to maybe unclog these pipes? You know, can I pray more? Can I can I do more more charitable deeds? Can I you know being be more engaged, be more intentional in my study time? Um, you know, because Hashem has empowered us with the power to to literally receive from Him. You know. Wow. Amen. You know, as you talk about power, you know, I think more and more about electricity. And it the thought struck me uh, this past Shabbat about how the Mizbeach in the courtyard of the temple is copper, which is like number one among many of the metals that are superconductive. And to think about what goes on in the courtyard and what goes on on the Mizbeach, it literally is all three of those pillars. So it's like this giant plug, like the positive, negative, the ground, <laughs> yes. like connecting to Shemayim, like the giant outlet above, you know? Wow. That's good. And you know, a, lot, a lot of times you look at the power cords, like they do have, most of them, you know, the really good ones have three prongs. The in them. really good ones do. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the two plugs, y'all still cool. Right. But we need three. <laughs> uh huh. Man, it's incredible. Um, but you know, he he does mention this whole idea of arise and argue with the mountains, let your hills hear your voice. And we mentioned earlier that the, the, the mountains are the forefathers and the hills are the mothers. Uh, and what is he really saying here? Is you know what what kind of essentially what kind of argument? does Hashem want the Navi to have with the people? Wow. And since he wants the prophet to remind them that he has shown them and showered them with kindnesses since the time he took them, uh, he took his nation uh, out of Egypt, and he really demanded little in return, oh. especially for what he did. Um, <laughs> but also one of the concepts is he, he, he wanted to arouse the, the patriarchs and matriarchs so that they could, pray on behalf of their children and, and, and give them mercy. Wow. So, um, you know, we have, we have this idea, going back to the idea of Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, Hashem declares, if a human king dispatches the royal emissaries to accomplish a job in some district of his kingdom, he expects the subjects there to treat them with due reverence and courtesy and to provide them with food and lodging. When I sent Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam in front of you, did you ever have to exert yourself to supply them with food or drink or to render any service for them? The contrary was true. You were sustained because of them. The man fell in Moshe's merit. The well gave forth water in Miriam's merit. And the clouds of glory surrounded you because of Aharon. Not only did these three great leaders benefit you physically, but also nourished you spiritually. Moshe taught the men. Aaron achieved forgiveness for your sins through his service. And Miriam taught the women. Mm. And so just this idea, you know, uh, we need to be uh, reflective people for all that Hashem's done for us and all that, you know, other people has done for us. And we need to appreciate the kindness that's been bestowed upon us and we need to recipro reciprocate that. Um, oh, uh, read before the, the, the whole concept of, of doing kindness to, to someone, you know, it's like, you know, say, say someone, uh, buy, buys, a buys a salad for you, you know, your lunch or whatever at your, your, your nearest kosher restaurant, your lunch. Um, and someone buys a salad for you. You know, kindness is not buying a salad for them in return. That's that's justice. Um, kindness 
would be okay. You 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 buy them a uh, uh, a steak dinner. Wow. You you up you up it, wow. or or you 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 pay for them and their 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 spouse or them their family. You know, so so kindness is is going beyond. It's not just it's not just giving back. That's justice. That's you know, that's uh, repaying your debts, if you will. Kindness is is you know going going above what they've done for you. Wow. And so if you kind of go in, in that direction, then giving kindness to people, it's like this the spiral effect where it's constantly you're constantly giving more, constantly giving more, and constantly you know increasing the the brotherly bond bond between um Israel. And if you think that that would be in vain, then let's remember that Hashem is the shade at your right hand. Wow. <laughs> so he's watching. Amen. All right. Well, our uh, timer is showing about a minute and 45 seconds before chirp chirp. For practical takeaways or in yes, end? Before practical takeaways. Okay. Amazing. Okay. Um, so, uh, we mentioned this concept and I'll kind of get to the, the, the end of it. Um, it says in six, eight, Minka declares this whole thing and we're getting back to this concept. Only these three, um, these practices, you know, Hashem has told you in the Torah, man, what is good in his eyes, uh, and what Hashem demands of you only to do justice to have love for kindness and to walk privately with your God. And the word there is actually zaniah, which is like zanut. Um, mm. So some translate hum- humbly, which, you know, is, you know, it's, it's accurate, but, you know, maybe, maybe privately or modestly would be more accurate. Um, why did, uh, so this question, why did Micha declare only these three practices? We mentioned this before. Was he trying to abrogate things from the Torah, you know, chas shalom? He, he was actually giving them general guidelines that would aid them in fulfilling the entirety of the Torah, all 613 commandments. Wow. You know, this was done by David, Yeshayahu, um, Abakuk later on. And so doing justice, this includes a fulfillment of the mitzvot aimed at ensuring justice between a man and his neighbor, you know, such as prohibitions against, you know, theft, murder, or oppression, loving kindness. Uh it may seem that, you know, as long as we don't do bad to people, you know, hey, no, I never hurt anyone. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a good person. No, no, you not hurting anyone is not equivalent to you being a good person. Wow. You, you got to do something. Hashem wants us to be active people um, and actively perform kindnesses for others, um, including feeding and clothing the poor, helping the unfortunate, visiting the sick, comforting mourners, and burying the dead. And, you know, the perfect example of this is. Um, none other than the Almighty Himself. Wow! You know, he he clothed the naked, Adam and Chava. He visited the sick, Abraham, when he was undergoing uh, Mila and the after effects of that. He buried the deceased, okay, Moshe. He prepared Aaron's shrouds and participated in his burial. You know, we're we're commanded to walk in God's way. You know, as He's merciful, so so we should be. As He's gracious, so should we be. As He clothes the na- uh, the naked, so so we should as well. As He visits the sick, so we should do. And as he buries dead, we should do this also. Uh, this whole idea of coming close to God, we can't just walk uh, a, a certain amount of distance and get close to him. The way we come close to God is by reflecting and you know mirroring and attaching ourselves to his attributes. As we develop our character uh, and mold it after his, we actually have a stronger connection with him. That's how we come close to Hashem. Wow. Um, Shlomo modeled this as well. 
um, it's very interesting. He, he actually created two special gates and uh, leading up to the Beit HaMikdash. And, and one was for the gate called the Gate of the Bridegroom. And the other was the Gate of the Mourners. And he, these, are, these are not the only gates there, but these are the two specific gates for these reasons. So that when one person would go and the Gate of the Bridegroom, they'd say, you know, uh, may he who dwells in this house grant you sons and daughters. And whenever someone entered the Gate of Mourning, all those present consult him. May he dwells in his house comfort you. Wow. And so in this way, you know, he established this environment uh, of, of, of loving kindness. Get you some. So may it's shame pretty... comfort all who mourn in Zion, right? <laughs> oh, man. And I know I heard the timer. I just want to get this last point of uh, acting with Snoot, and we can get into practical takeaways. Hit it. Okay. Acting with Zanut. Oh, before we get this, one one quick thing on loving yes. kindness. Yes. Sorry, how to do it. Um, do it. Story time. Story time, because we can. Come on. <laughs> Once, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai was walking in Jerusalem with Rabbi Yehoshua behind him. As they passed the site of the destruction of Beit Mikdash, Rabbi Yehoshua exclaimed sadly, Woe to us at the house of God where our sins were atoned, lies in ruins. Oh. Rabbi Yochanan quieted him quieted him by saying, Don't feel badly, my son, for we have a different atonement that is just as great, the performance of chesed. As the prophet declares in Hoshia 6.6, I desire chesed, kindness, and not sacrifice. And it says the world was built with kindness. Tehillim 89.3. And so you look at this whole idea of why did Mashiach so go out of his way to preach about uh, Musar and character development, especially kindness and, and caring for others. Uh, he he knew that he would be gone, right? The temple would be torn down, and he knew prophetically that the second temple would be torn down well after him. And so he's like, "Hey, look! If you if you follow after my example, you know about 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 healing people, about visiting the sick, you know about about clothing uh, the naked, right? Then then you're you're going to have an, an atonement for you. And so his encouragement for us to do kindness was actually his encouragement." for us to be, be atoned for. And so we get into our, our last thing, uh, which is acting with Sanut and modesty. Um, this is, you know, several concepts are, are mentioned in this. And so, you know, Micah cautions, what Hashem wants for you are justice and kindness performed in private and known only to him. Your motive should be Lashem Shemayim to fill Hashem's will and not to earn the gratitude of others for your deeds. Uh, furthermore, the dictum, Walking privately with Hashem actually refers to the mitzvahs that pertain to one's thoughts. Wow. Uh, such as loving and fearing Hashem. And so others, you know, can't know what you think. Only, only God knows, uh, knows the thoughts of your heart. And, but he desires that our mind be constantly occupied with thoughts pertaining to his service. And the, the third concept is even when in private, one should act as he would in public. Maintaining a constant awareness that Hashem is watching him. And we got a short story time right here. Hit it. Uh, Rav Yossi testified about himself. The walls of my home never saw the hems of my robe. Whenever he got undressed, ready to slip his robe over his head, he would first sit down on his bed and cover himself with his blanket so as not to leave his body exposed. Um, mentions the Midrash actually mentions also here that a person's true level of righteousness is apparent when he is totally unobserved. Um, Wow. And so just the idea, we, we mentioned that before, the whole idea of Sanut, and even being modest in your own home, 
you know, because, and, and what is the benefit to this? Why should you do it? Well, if you behave as if God is like a king right in front of you, then and if you behave in that way and you, your actions, not just your thoughts and your words reflect that, but your actions also reflect that, then Hashem becomes more real to you. Ooh. And your moon is strengthened. And, you know, this is really what, you know, we, we talked about the three principles of um, Mika, but the one principle that Habakkuk later on says is is faith, the Muna. Wow. And and how do we strengthen that? By essentially, you know, keeping keep the precepts of Torah. And Shabi knows, you know, this is why you talk see uh, Rabbi Shaul, or more known as Paul, talk about faith, 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 faith. Right. Well, you know, that's not it's not to say that works, if you will, have been done away with. The Torah has been done away with. Hashem just he's giving the people, especially the the Gentile nation at the time, who have no concept of God. He's giving them one principle to latch onto that when they they come in and 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 keep the entirety of the Torah. Wow, 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 wow. First of all. Um... Just want to say that you just completely destroyed the idea that Adam and Haba were naked in the garden. Second of all, wow. it is time for political takeaways. Twenty minutes and go. <laughs> all right, you, you I'm, 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 I did mention a few things that are practical um, in that. So, and I've been talking a lot. So go ahead. I know you got a lot to say. So go and shoot for it. Uh, yeah practical takeaways because it like cracked every bone in the body practical <laughs> goodness um well you know i just want to say that when you talk about kindness i mean this is incredible this is the word chesed you know and mashiach is full of chesed and emet you know as yokanan penned in the first chapter and you think about how that it talks about that the law came through Moses, but grace came through Mashiach. Well, that grace is actually chesed. You know, it's not just chen, it's chen and chesed. You know, and we talk about Noah finding favor in the eyes of Hashem, basically him being exotic in the midst of a, cro a crooked and perverse generation. You know, that was the chen that uh, Noah is, you know, which is Noah backwards, is chen. And that's what he found in the eyes of Hashem in order to be saved and delivered. And pretty much the days of Noah is what we are in. If not right now, then tomorrow. You know, like we are so close to the end that it is like, I can't believe Hashem allowed us to be born during this time so that we could see the redemption, you know. So just kind of looking at chesed and grace and kindness, you know, and all of that, like... To talk about being able to extend that to people, I think it's absolutely uh, a privilege and an opportunity for us because you're looking at my favorite verse of this Haftarah, even though I don't, I shouldn't have favorites, this is it, you know, can't, I gotta be honest. And it, it talks about that you do chesed, that it is literally the Ivrit is ve'ahavat chesed. Like that you have Ahava for Chesed. And Ahava, Gematria 13, is also Echad, which is half of the Gematria of the divine name of Hashem. So if you think about doing a, a love in a double portion, a double portion of love, 
which love, what does Hashem call love? Keeping his commandments. So if you think about going beyond keeping the commandments, like thinking about them, because, you know, we have two hearts. We have two inclinations. We have our Yetzirah, our Yetzirah Tov. Even with our Yetzirah, we can love Hashem and we can be kind. We can take our, our arrogance. We can take our pride. We can take our just whatever you want to call being uh, just want to be dominant, like our ambition. We can take all those things and orient them to holiness, orient them towards kindness. Like I will not allow someone else to be kind to so-and-so before I'm kind to them, you know, kind of thing. Or I will, I will make sure that if someone drops something that they do not get to bend down to pick it up. Especially guys, if you see ladies that drop stuff, good night. Like the, the level of just insane ogling that, that is like prone to happen because a woman's going to go pick up stuff. It's just like, Ooh, you want to yeah. go ahead and use your Yetzahara right there and be like, Yetzahara, you about to help me fulfill a mitzvah because I am not about to let this woman get looked at. I am not about to let this woman bend over. And furthermore, it's like a triple mitzvah. right? Like, and I'm going to lower myself down and I'm going to quote unquote, wash her feet right there in public because I'm going to humiliate my own self. I'm going to kneel down. I'm going to pick up everything. I'm going to pretend like it's my stuff that got dropped and be like, I am so sorry that this happened to you, ma'am, you know, and hand her her things back in an order, orderly fashion, that kind of stuff. And so that's a very, very just like deep just picture that I just love that you brought that chesed out. You know, someone buys you a salad and you're like, let me buy you a salad. And it's like, no, that's not kindness. That's, that's something else, you know? And I'm just like, wow. So anyway, I mean, I could say a whole lot more cause I'm just so blown away. I'm just so ready to see Mashiach. Amen. <sighs> so say la. It's, it's it's interesting. I love you. You brought this, these whole points and um, especially those those practical things of of helping other people and, and covering them from you know and covering other people from sinning as well. Yes. You know, um, you have this this whole the whole especially chapter five is dealing with Mashiach and, and his coming and, and what what that's going to be like and the end of days and and you look at these these points that come after the juxtaposed to essentially show you that hey. You abiding by these principles is is going to bring about the redemption, and that, that's hidden in the whole aspects of, of Hashem's fingers and what He uses them for. You have you know little finger that was building the ark. What's that doing? That's, that's salvation, right? Mm. Uh, the ten plagues. That's that's salvation. That's redemption. The 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 forefinger, right after the golden calf. That was the half shekel that brought atonement for the the instant of the golden calf. Right, and so these are all aspects of salvation, you know, and, and atonement, and redemption, and you know, the, that, that's all. Focus on that as part of the solution. Wow. However, what's what's the major focus? If if you what's the major focus um, to actually bring about this final redemption? You know, what what should you have on your your mind completely? And that is the middle finger, which stands out, right? The longest finger. Yeah. And that is Torah. Wow, and so this is going to show you that that we should not be so caught up in in our own 
our own salvation, our own our own standing and and Alam Haba or, or or whatever or our own our own personal redemption. But if we have Torah focused on our mind and, and all aspects of that and all all its details, all its little halakhic details as well, then that's actually going to bring the redemption. Amen. And that's even alluded to in, in the fact of, of how we cut our fingernails as, as Jews, the, the, the process of that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you have uh, on the left hand, you start with your, your ring finger, right? Yeah. You cut that. Then you, then you go over to your index finger. Then you go to your pinky, right? And those are all the aspects of, of the salvation and redemption. And then you go into the middle finger. It's always the fourth finger to be cut on both hands. Uh, and that, the middle finger, that represents our, the Torah, right? right? And that precedes the thumb, which going back into our, yeah. our verse about God's hand, that is the final redemption. That's God coming all of his might. So it goes to show you, if we just have our focus cool. on Torah and, and we really... Forget about assimilating. Forget about all these, all these distractions, all this Greek and 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 Roman Roman culture that's going to distract us from what's truly important in life. And we we're we're, we're stringent with our own Torah and, and and kind to other people. Right? This is going to bring about the redemption. And so, also just as a side, it goes to show you that that, that even just little customs in Judaism or or, or the halachas in Judaism, um, nothing is there that's just extra and unimportant everything has has a very very detailed and essential purpose in our lives <laughs> wow and it affects us on a subconscious level whether we believe it or not man i just so, want to go cut you know, my fingernails right now <laughs> <laughs> do it yeah and chabad does have a really good article on that as well if anyone wants to look that up um about how to do that like i i've man wow just gonna be clipping Baruch Abab Hashem Adonai, Baruch Abab Hashem Adonai. You know, amen, man. amen. Well, what do we know? What do we know? But what we do know is Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai, Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech Haolam, Zur Kol Haolamim, Zadik Bekol Hadorot. Ha'el ha'ne'eman ha'omer ve'oseh. Hamdaber umkayem shekol dabarav emet vazerek. Ne'eman atahu Adonai Eloheinu ve'ne'emanin. Devareka ve'davar echad. Midvareka achor lo yashuv. Recham ki el melek ne'eman ve'rakaman ata. Baruch ata Adonai. Ha'el ha'ne'eman bekol devarav. Yizkut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Well, tola rabah to everyone for joining us. This is Shama Man and Chasis Baz for the Haftarah Get You Some for Parsha Balak. Everyone have a Shavuot Tov and may you have an easy fast as the 17th of Tammuz approaches. Amen.